This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. In this episode, Daniel Fuller joins Joe and Matthew. He recounts a road trip. A misfits anecdote is shared. A modern painter's correction is made. Greg Popovich, Ernest Hemingway, Dave Hickey, and boxing become topics. This is episode 9. So you just did a road trip. I did. You know, it was essentially a road trip. You know, it's it's what I do. It's uh, go on the road and see art and meet with artists <laughs> and, and go see exhibitions other places and and look at the format, look at how they're hung, look you know, look for ideas and inspiration and and whatnot. And you know, this is I essentially take one quote unquote vacation week a year and this was it and every day was one or two museums but it was an aggressive itinerary yeah no it was a different city nearly every day um (laughs) the flu did you you know where you were going to stay each night uh to some extent yeah we thugged it out a couple places and just like arrived in town and, and looked uh uh but for the most part like knew where we were going to stay we had we had the sort of staples down basics down uh mm-hmm. flew to albuquerque atlanta to albuquerque rented a car drove to santa fe went to the biannual uh uh let's see went to this photo fair that was happening there and we went to santa fe uh spirits a new distillery in town uh-huh. uh, had a nice meal went to bed next day drove to first to roswell New Mexico, then uh, went to the the Alien Museum there. Studio, oh, uh, man. Uh, whatever. What is Jealous. it? It's the Area 50, 51. 51. I always want to You're say. You're thinking of Area 54. Well, I always want to say Area 54. <laughs> Have you ever? Yeah, yeah that yeah, would be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in the desert, just middle of nowhere. It's yeah. a disco that never ends. Like a, yeah. a constant burning man, but without, but with better clothing or actual clothing. Polyester <laughs> in, the, in the desert? <laughs> See, then we went to Marfa, went to the Chinati Foundation, the new uh, Robert Irwin installation just opened a month ago. And that was really what, gorgeous. Like 10 years, isn't it? Or more? Uh, it was, I want to say it was 18 in total from when he started thinking about it, uh, from when he first visited. Uh, it was, it's gorgeous. It's really beautiful. It's super, uh, super, super simple, but really just stunning. Uh, and, that was that was an interesting conversation too because they were like you know no photos of this new installation we want people to interact with it and everyone on our tour was like sneaking photos and it's like it was so simple it's just this monochromatic it's just like a house that's in the shape of a U and on one side everything is is white and on the other side everything is black and it was really gorgeous but I couldn't imagine looking like. For a second, I was like, should I try and sneak a photo? And then I was like, this would just look like a white yeah. space. Like, yeah. Yeah. this is something, like, this is a case of the museum, or the, in this case, the Chinati Foundation, being right. Like, right. this doesn't translate into a photo. You yeah. have to come here for this. It's really stunning. Uh, and then went to Ballroom Marfa, which had an excellent show that was... Uh, co-curated by an old friend of mine in Philadelphia who now runs a space in L.A. That show was great. 
um, really, really strange and and wonderful, uh, very inspirational. And uh, I've only known them to curate shows in their own. You know, the two artists running a space together, only known them to do their own thing. And part of me is like, okay, we got to get them here because the show was so strange and interesting. Um, woke up, drove to Houston, Contemporary Museum, yep. and the Manila Collection. Uh, had a couple, had a, you know, after the drive. No, no, we went That's to Austin long, first. No, we went to Austin drive. first. Austin first, went to the Contemporary, went to, what's that, Laurel, Ren- Laurel Reynolds Gallery. Uh, saw a good show there. Next day, woke up, went to Houston, went to the Contemporary, went to the Manil, had a good meal, had an interesting interaction. Apparently, we went to a restaurant that, um, there's no signage, it's kind of tucked off, uh, off of like a big road. There's no signage and there's no, like it's, it's kind of hard to find. The food was amazing. It was really an incredible place. And talking to the waiter, I was like, man, this is, it had this beautiful courtyard and I'm like, man, this this place is great. You know, how does this work with no signage? How does it work, like, sort of tucked away like this? And he was like, you know, our our patrons, the people that eat here, they like they like to be hidden away. They like it as their little secret. He's like, we get we get athletes and some celebrities. And he was like, uh, he was like, uh, Ted Cruz eats here twice a week. I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> So how did you hear about this place? Uh, Eater. Eater Eater.com. Yeah, it was on Eater. And we went to, then next day, went to the Blaffer Museum at the University of Houston. Two really good shows there. And then what was the other museum? Houston has so many good museums. Oh, uh, went to the Rice Gallery. Yeah, uh, at at Rice University and saw the Terrell. Yeah, they have a James Terrell. But they they had this. The Rice Gallery is really interesting because uh, it's the only it's the only on campus museum in the country where it's just one site specific work and it stays up for a long time. But it's like a completely immersive, massive work that that happens. In this case, it was a full sort of office setup. Uh, you can watch a time lapse time lapse video of it. Uh, it was a, a massive, not massive, it was a very large uh, office space set up with all of these cubicles and desks and plants and everything as is, uh, but everything was connected to this uh, pulley system, and my understanding is that slowly everything was being pulled to the corner. So by the time I got there, I, I missed the destruction of it being pulled, but everything was like jammed into this corner uh the rug was ripped and all the you know all these desks were on their side and dell computers tipped over and manila folders spilled out it was you know everything sort of just shoved into the corner it was that was really wow interesting really really good i would have liked to have seen i don't know uh i couldn't glean from the wall text if the sort of the poll if it happened Instant, like instantaneously, like flip a switch and it just went like that, or if it was a slow pull that was happening every day. Uh, for some reason, the wall texts, I didn't get that. Uh, but had it been some aggressive moment, I would have loved to have watched it. 
Then in New Orleans, went to the Contemporary, saw the Marclay clock, Dred Scott's uh, flag. Uh, what else in New Orleans? I mean, that's like a year's worth I of can't believe people's it. viewing. Like your relentless, yeah. like fearless curiosity is But this is what amazing. this no, is I, what you're supposed to do. As a curator, this is what you're Christian supposed Mark to do. Christian Marclay, that's a 24-hour piece. I mean, I oh, did it stay all 24 hours? How, how, how long did you do? 20, 30 minutes? I did, uh, stayed for about 30 minutes. Yeah. I've seen it. I saw it before in New okay. York. And uh, it's unbelievable. Are there for, chairs? Like yeah, there's couches. Okay. It's it's yeah. a really nice setup. It was okay. comfortable. And they usher see. in so many at a time, one in, one out, or whatever. No, no, not in New Orleans. No. In New York, that's how it was. Yeah. In New in New York, it was a more uh, it was more difficult to get in. In New Orleans, it was like midday on a Friday, and uh, yeah, there was plenty of plenty wow. of open seating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But so, so you said that that's part that's. That's the deal. That's the job. I think so. I, I think, think so it's too. seeing, you know, it's seeing, seeing as much as possible, distilling what you see, distilling the ideas, and bringing it back. And then it's all, you know, it's also like the the life experience, like being out in the world and sort of seeing things, seeing things and thinking about things. The ability to to sort of not stay in your own little bubble and also not right. stay in your own little. You know, it's also important to me to not just stay in a bubble of art, too. Like, how do you think about... You, yes, you're seeing all this art, but how do you think about it in context of the world? Yeah, because you're getting out there and you're eating and obviously interacting with, you know, other folks from all kinds of different walks of life. And, um, you know, that's a big difference than how a lot of people are consuming art these days on a phone, maybe not even a laptop, you know, in terms of, like, work. most of it is... You got to see it in person. What's it look like on the wall? Is there a shadow? Is there, let alone, like you said, getting out of the bubble and, uh, you know, just seeing different lights, breathing different air. The art's going to look different, you know? I had a conversation, I had a Skype, Skype studio visit this morning um, with an artist that I met seven years No, not that long ago. Five, six years ago. Uh, and I saw a show of his in Kansas City and I was at the opening. And was in, you know was invited to, to the dinner and really want to show his work here in Atlanta. And it, it, you know it's that funny thing of like you don't know when things are going to come back around. Sure. But it, you know and had I like you know it was funny because like I really like this guy's work. He's coming up in in my world these uh-huh. days. He's coming up a little bit, but I have that connection from five six years ago. Really really like the show. Uh, met the dude, really liked him. Friend, you know, friends in Kansas City really like it. you know, and it's that friends really were like, oh, you got to go see this show. This guy's great. His work's great. Blah blah blah. You know, it's just one of those things of like, uh, you can't sit back. You can't always sit back and wait for things to come to you. Like I remember his show. We were talking about it today. You know, from something that I saw five six years ago. Like I remember it. Like it was it was a a really incredible show. Uh, I looked at, you know, I looked at shows on Art Viewer and Contemporary Daily that were amazing yesterday, but I don't really remember them. Like, like I'm like, oh, that this show looks great, but it it, it doesn't stick with me because it's just a JPEG sliding by. It's yeah. not a it's not a real life. Yeah, I'm there seeing it, enjoying this in person sort of thing. But to go out to get out of that bubble, to collect those experiences. I'm just amazed at how that is almost like the exception. I mean, so much of what we read, it tends to be in that bubble, that art bubble. 
But he's from like in the context of New York and yeah, LA. Yeah, and Basel. Yeah, yeah. But to get out and have those experiences. Well, I think that's part of you know that's part of being in a city like Atlanta. I, you know I don't know. I mean everyone has their own process. Everyone has their own way that they put together shows or look at artists or artists that they choose to to look at. I I was at a, a you know not to put anyone else's ways down but like for me like I was at this curators conference a couple of years ago and all of these curators were talking about what like the instable biennial versus documenta versus the, you know whatever mm-hmm. whatever it yeah. was and like part of me I think a younger me would have felt dumb because like I didn't have the the institution I was working for didn't have the money to send me to Istanbul. Right. Like, the institution I was working for didn't... Like, I didn't have... I was a one-man staff. I didn't have time to go to the Venice Biennale that year. Um, but at the same time, I had time on a Wednesday to, like, drive down to Providence and see these four shows mm-hmm. and hit this show in Boston on the way back and then back to Maine. And it was one of those funny things where it was like, oh, I, like, everyone's talking about Istanbul. And I'm like, oh... You know, you're in Boston. Did you yeah. see this this yeah. amazing show in Providence? And they're like, No, I, I yeah. don't. I, I don't have time to go to those things. And it's like, <laughs> I don't have time. You know, and yeah. for me too. Like I've always chosen to work at smaller institutions, and you really have to think. You know, the biggest thing, uh, the bi- biggest expense can be shipping budgets. Yeah. I can't ship things from Venice. I can't ship right. things from London. Like it's more important for me to see. Uh, it's important to see works that are incredible and, and inspirational and wonderful, but if I can't bring them to Atlanta, what you know, what's the point? Like I'd rather go see shows in New Orleans and Houston and Austin, things that are at least semi regional, because then if I see something really great, I can share it with Atlanta. Well, yeah, obviously that resourcefulness, you know, pays off and I think most decent artists you're always working up against some kind of constraint your own talent or, you know, studio, material, something, but, you know, figure a workaround. And uh, that also made me think, like, we were looking uh, and discussing in our last episode, um, uh, this fine tone here, pigeons on the grass, alas, and we were both kind of had some opinions on the overall flavor. Mm -hmm. There's some great people in there. You're you're in that book. Some nice, nice quotes. I Uh, snuck in somehow. But, um, you know, some of it, like, I posited that I thought on some level even being like somewhat educated and somewhat experienced traveling and going looking at art and going in studios and making stuff for a long time feeling like it's almost on on this rarefied level of like art exhibitions for curators but Mm -hmm. I but I also wondered I threw out does that have to happen like to kind of raise the tide overall you know like otherwise do we get just more of these like I call them like the natural history you know, museum shows where it's like it's cars or it's jewelry and it's like it gets people into the door but versus you know yeah there's a lot of shows I go see I don't necessarily understand I might not like but as I'm saying to Matthew you know maybe it's sometimes years later that I'm seeing another show and a bit of context falls sure. into place etc but I mean do you I guess I'm to frame this into a question like overall like there's probably some people in here that you know very well do you feel at times there are shows that are just really for each other? Oh yeah, of course. I don't. I don't like shows for curators. I like shows for artists. Um, for artists or for the public? For 
Well, I guess those are two different things. Uh, those are definitely two different things. I, re- I have to say I really do like shows for um, for artists. Uh, I like I like I prefer nine times out of ten I prefer an artist run space over right. a museum. Um, I don't know, you know that that's always a f- uh, funny thing. I was just I was just in Detroit for two days a couple couple weeks ago and went to like three excellent excellent artist run spaces and then went to the Contemporary Art Museum. The the contemporary army the show was good uh, the show was good but it also sort of felt a little stale and it felt a little removed and it felt a little more professional and you had to check in at the desk and you had you know and we're talking you about mocad walk, yeah mocad really? which I re- I really like mocad I like I like, yeah. like mocad and I like the I like the show that was at yeah. mocad when I was there but at the same time it was just it was a formal process. Right. You walk in, yeah. you go past the, the little store, there's someone at the desk you talk to, he gives you your intro, and then you go in and see the work. Whereas I went to a couple shows in people's living rooms, and they were just like, hey, welcome in. Knock yourself out. I'm going yeah. to be in here making spaghetti. Yeah. You know, and it was just like, you know, and if you have any questions, <laughs> come and catch me. And, you know, before yeah. I put the sauce on, yeah, you know, and it's just like that funny thing. And like, I saw some, re- I saw a couple really, really good shows, at, like Baby Grand Gallery in, in Detroit. Like that was a good show in this dude James's uh, living room. Like it was a, it was a well curated, well thought out show. Two D, three D, what type of work? everything? Sound, sound. Yeah, you know, it's just in his living room. It's called Baby Grand because he had a Baby Grand piano in there, and there's nowhere else to put it in the house. So all the artwork has to, you know, consider the fact that there's a piano around it or in the same space. And, you know, it was great, you know. Um, Is that what you like about that kind of environment, that it introduces those those pieces, those variables that change the way the work is displayed and... Uh, understood not to some extent I'd say not necessarily though more I think what I like about those kinds of spaces is that I typically think that I typically think that curators are really boring and uh, to me if you're looking for a new artist to work with you never ask a curator you ask yeah. an artist yeah. who are you yeah. looking at who's interesting yeah. who's who's hot who's up and coming who's yeah. Who's good, you know, blah, blah, blah. All those things. I think, you know, it's the same thing like basketball players know the best basketball players. And musicians know, you know, he's a musician's musician. You know, it's one of those, you know, it's one of those things. I think, to me, you don't ask a curator who's a good artist because he'll just give you the same answer over and over again. It's the same, I mean, it's the same reason like art form at the end of the year has like the like, Ask artists who who's your favorite artist. Yeah. You know, it's like those are way more interesting than who yeah. who museums are interested in because by the time it by the time it comes up in a museum, you know, it's it's you know you start to plan a show and then it's like yeah, it's later. You know, it's funny the the dude that I was talking to yeah. today, you, you know, like I, I try and leave things relatively flexible as as much as you can uh, and try and have some open slots for shows and I was just like he's like you know I asked him like we should start working on a show and he's like yeah great when and I was like maybe summer uh, 2017 or fall and he was just like oh that's like 
three years from now for me I'm used to do you know yeah. and he's got his New York gallery but he also does a lot of like mm-hmm. uh, living room show you know he also does artist run spaces a lot and he's just like to plan out for like summer of 2017 or fall of 2017 that's like through the roof wow. so it's tons it's, of time it's the immediacy of the space I think I think to an extent I think you know that's the thing is work gets made and it's up on the wall, you know? You don't have to wait a year or two years. You know, if you're going to, a lot of times when you're going to larger institutions, you're not going to see anything on the wall label. You're not going to see anything that says 2016. And a lot of times you're not even going to see things that say 2015 because it had to be planned, had to be on the books. The marketing department had to, had the press people, the this, the that. Everyone had to sort of vet it. It had to go through so many different channels before it could get up on the wall that by the time it's up there the artist has gone and moved on to a number of different things and I think with smaller spaces you can see things that are more indicative of what that artist is up to and what other artists are up to uh, because other artists are the ones that brought this in I know you trained as a painter correct? That was a very long time right. ago. But no, I was just curious. Like, <laughs> how many curators would you say um, are failed artists? I don't want to use the word failed. I do. Uh, what about <laughs> what about uh, or just as far as again as as the gateway? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm also thinking it's also a thing of age. Like, I mean, I'm sure there were curatorial studies programs in the past, but probably not with the specificity there are now. You know, when there's somebody who's like 15, like, I'm going to be a curator. I think it seems like a lot of people that I've read or, or the few that I've met, a lot of people kind of stumbled into it or what have you. Or, you know, you go to art school and you figure it out. But uh, I'm thinking of how that um, obviously changed the way you work and see and in that curiosity. But would you say, like, other people that you know are the, are the better curators? This is a total judgment. Do you think, have they had that formal you know, exposure to what it's like to make something, to be in a studio? I don't know. I'd say I'd say most curators that I'm pals with, uh, I don't know. I, I love to insult curatorial studies programs as someone who didn't go to one. Um, I, I like to think of them as like the most inner bubble of the inner bubble. Like the, the curator who I probably most admire in the in the country uh went to bard so at the same you know so as much as i want to mm-hmm. make fun of them mm-hmm. i can't i can't be like well all those people are are awful and they just do shows for for themselves or for uh or for other curators but not this one guy who went there you know so it kind of throws off i wish he didn't go there i wish uh you know i wish that i still had bard to completely insult but I don't. <laughs> but I mean, I think there's a similar thing too, like especially with MFA programs. Um, I think in that book, Helen Molesworth was talking about there's too many artists. And mm. you can certainly say there's this glut of, you know, the MFA puppy mill. But I mean, isn't it what you bring to the table? I mean, like I personally like had a good experience and I really needed it mm-hmm. in my development. And there's a lot of people that are just holding, you know, it's a place... Uh, taker, you know, they're right out of undergrad. You know, some sure. it works for and all that. I mean, sure. you know, it's easy to throw it all out. But, um, you know, the curatorial studies program, some of it seems a bit heady. 
Very. But very um, heady. You know, I guess Matthew and I are always are obsessed with uh, trying to rein it back in. Either when you look at your individual world, like what is your mission, or to an institution mm-hmm. standpoint. And obviously, we're all. It's easy to lump it all underneath this big thing of this this art world or this art bubble. And it's like, you know, man, it's like, do you just want ten people to come in and experience in a living room versus trying to get fifty people? In at night, and then you need like lions and tigers and bears and cocktails and <laughs> you know jugglers, and then at the end is somebody actually looking at the art. And it's you know from my experience as well. Why does it seem like the art gets a whole lot more attention and love? You know when that's really the focal point. And it's like why is it? So I mean it's like music. You know a lot of the best things I've ever seen have been like in you know alleys and. You know, small, alleys. illegal. Well, like in Austin, <laughs> there's been some of that. Yeah, a lot of really. How many movies. alleys are you hanging out in these days? Uh, not so With much no anymore. Signs. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway. No, I mean, you know, there's just something about that, and that's, uh, you know, and you know, I've gone to the blockbusters at MoMA and all that, but uh, you're right, it's a totally different, very antiseptic at times mm-hmm. but uh, then again that work still has the power I listen I, I hate going to MoMA like I hate the entire experience of it like I hate the line I, I hate walking the few blocks from the subway like I know when I get off the subway I know I'm not going to enjoy it. like I go <laughs> I, I walk I walk through the doors thinking I'm not going to enjoy myself and then I go through the doors there's a long line and then and like and I'm lucky enough to get to you know lucky enough to make so little as a museum nonprofit person that I get a card that that says I'm a curator and I can go to a different line mm-hmm. and and they give me a free ticket and then and then I'm trying to figure out like the escalator or the or the or the elevator and it's also like it sucks to, it, it's really a weird experience and then you know and I'm pretty specifically speaking about the last time that I was there and then I go up to the top floor and I get into the Kai Altoff show and I just want to melt because it's so beautiful and wonderful. And for the, you know, 29 minutes that I'm in that show, I forget how much I hate that place. And then the second I step out of the show, I'm just like, I got to get the, I got to get out of here as quick as possible. But when I'm in that Kai, you know, very specifically this current exhibition, it's just like there's no place on earth I, I'd rather be than in that show. That show was so amazing, and it makes you forget where you are for a little bit. Would you say that's your experience with most of like New York, as far as like museums, new museum? No, that, oh, the American Apparel Museum, the new museum. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't, you know, like on this, on this, the last time that I was there. Like, you know, I hit the Whitney. The Whitney had uh, two incredible shows. Uh, and then I hit some Lower East Side galleries. Mm-hmm. Then I went to uh, the I went to MoMA. Then I went to PS1 for the book fair. And I snuck in in between there. I knew because it was, like, literally a whole day of, like, from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. at night. Uh, it was just going to be art, 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 art. And I had a hour and a half... Uh, open on my, like, open where I didn't have to meet anyone, I didn't have to go for a studio visit, I didn't have to be at this museum or at this gallery and, like, I was going from MoMA out to Queens to go to to the book fair at PS1 
And I was just like, I've got an hour and a half. That's not much. But if I get a $2 on SeatGeek, if I get a $2 Mets ticket, I can go out to Flushing, catch three innings, <laughs> two maybe three innings, drink a beer, have a veggie dog, get back on the seven and get back to the book fair. And that's what I did. Like, wow. that's what I did. And, and I think in part, I think it, it like, it gave me time to really think, like, had I just gone from MoMA right to the book fair, it would have just been complete overload and it would have yeah. been horrible. I sat there at the Mets games, sort of watching, sort of drinking my beer and really thinking a ton about the Kai Altoff show bet, and right? how much I, how much I love that show. It was that moment. It was literally, I think I was there for like 45 minutes total, uh, which is the benefit of getting a $2 ticket. Thank you for the Mets being yeah. terrible. But, um, you know, but it really was that moment to sort of sit and think about what I had seen for the rest of the day and not just run, 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 run. Right. I think some people would take your love of sports, going to games, as, as a way of separating yourself or not wanting to play along. But in reality, you're, you're taking a lot of that time to process Everything that you're taking in. Wait, not play along with what? Not play along. Not play with others. A curator is not supposed to like uh, sports. Who says? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, those are just the, those are you know. Which yeah. I think it's ridiculous. But you know, I, I, and you're not supposed to like this kind of music. Or you're not supposed right. to this. Or you're not supposed right. to vote for this person. Or you're not supposed. People come in all different shapes, sizes, and interests, and whatever. And you know, I. You know, going back to the BFA, like, I have a BFA, but I went to college specifically to play lacrosse. I don't know what I'd be doing in my life if it wasn't for sport. Like, I would, I don't know. I I had never thought about going to college not to not play sports. It That was the reason for college. Um, Otherwise, I'd probably be a mechanic back home. Um, I don't know. So sports was what got me into this. I played lacrosse and rugby in college. And in my senior year, I broke this wrist for the fourth time. And a doctor said, you know, you should consider not doing this anymore because that's not going to heal. And I've broken this wrist. I've broken this wrist arm four times. This one three times. I've broken eight ribs. I've broken my nose twice. Um, I've broken all, I think nine out of ten toes. I've torn ligaments in both knees. Uh, I have no cartilage in this knee. This knee is killing me right now. It really hurts. Uh, uh, but I every like I've I've broken in everything and and that in the senior year of college it was like oh I can't I can't play sports anymore. What do I do? And that's when I started going to the Baltimore Museum of Art uh, every Wednesday because it was free. And then I fell so in love with that. Then I started driving up to Philly on Sundays because that's when the Philadelphia Museum uh, of Art was free. And it was just like that filled my time. Uh, And I think I took a lot of the same sort of... um, Dreams and aspirations and like work ethic from sports, and I put that into wow. art. Wow, okay. I mean, yeah, that comes across. That especially makes sense. Like your your discipline, sense of discipline, especially. I'm fascinated though because like I have a lot of I'm like vicariously living through you, and 
when I hear of these tales of you know like constantly traveling like like you'll you'll squeeze like if I'm if I'm you I'm at MoMA and I'm an hour and a half I'm probably gonna either grab an, an espresso somewhere or an or beer <laughs> yeah yeah and just but and decompress in my right. way but like sure. and I've gone to many games at Shea but like because um, it exhausts me. And yet you seem to, I wish I had like the flip side where you were like, I can see like 25 things today. And it seems to, uh, you know, again, fulfill you. Like, um, art excites me. And it, like, that's great. You know, it it excites me more. You know, it's funny. Like my, like when I'm going with my girlfriend into a museum, she's like, she's like, or even if we're like, you know, in New York, she hasn't been to... She had never been to the new museum or she hadn't been to, like, the, the Swiss Institute or something. So we're, to her, we're just walking down the sidewalk, going someplace. And she's like, I know we're getting close when you just start walking really fast. When you, like, start walking yeah. twice as fast. And she's like, she's like, it's just so interesting to see how exciting... You know, how excited you are, how exciting it is for you to wow. go into these buildings and see what's in there you know it is what it is and even if i don't like the show which which definitely happens especially in a city like new york where there's so much good and so much bad always showing at the same time but there's always the excitement like there's always like if something lets you down there's always something else like not too far away Mm -hmm. so you just gotta like so you gotta run even faster because you wasted your time over here so now you gotta run run faster to the next thing how often are you disappointed and think you don't like something and then realize days weeks months later that that happens not a ton but it but it happens you know there there's there's i think in a lot of ways well, this is a this is a debate because I've always said the best art is something that punches you in the stomach okay. that makes you feel something. You know, okay. that, like it, maybe it's the beauty of it, maybe it's the the horror of it, maybe it's it's completely disgusting to you. It's really this is something my sister and I have been going back and forth with um, the last few days because she sent me I'll throw her under the bus. She sent me some work by an outsider artist in in New Orleans who's clearly on really hard times and I feel like I feel like it's a very like hipster thing to like oh we found this guy we found this dude making these hand-painted signs and I don't know you know I've really been struggling with this because like I always say like oh I like the best art makes you feel something and when I see this work that she sent me and was like I think this is really cool I'm like that makes me feel really bad and I don't think that it's going to turn around. Like, it makes me feel something, but I still don't think that makes it good, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that was an odd uh, track to answer no, that. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, but, like, not everybody is, like, a Philip Gustin. You know, like, I'm thinking, yeah. like, what about... I mean, I think good art has to be authentic, and whether it's in your face or, like, maybe it's Agnes Martin, and it is kind of a slow burn. Mm-hmm. And we all have our different takes or, or tastes and I, I worked a lot with you. Know, we had an exhibition here at Atlanta Contemporary with Dapper Bruce Lafee in New Orleans, who's, mm-hmm. you know, who is a quote unquote outsider artist. And I don't like that term, but 
it's what he's sort of labeled under. And like I had a show with Marlon Mullen, who works at NIAD, which works with artists with severe disabilities. But I think in, in both of those cases, those guys are artists. Like they're, they're not outsider artists. They're not challenged artists or disabled artists. They, you know, not that they have the same uh, um, problem, but um, they are artists. They make art. Uh, on a daily basis, from the time that they wake up till the time that they go to bed, it's they've figured out their lives in a way that they can do that, and it's so authentic. And it's they're going to do it if anyone looks at it or not. Right. If it ever sells, if it's ever in a magazine, or if it's ever shown anywhere, they are going. You know, either one of them. God forbid the day they pass. Uh, when you go into their apartments, you will just find. An astronomical stacks, amount of stacks. stacks and stacks and stacks of artwork because it's what they had to do. Well, the classic one, I think, in terms of using that word um, and wrongly, that is outsider uh, Thornton Dial, and then mm-hmm. uh, and then secondly yeah. with with the show coming up here, Lonnie with Lonnie, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and again, it's like, well, what you have to be like a union member and have an MFA to to be not, you know, like that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm sitting there having a conversation with Lonnie last week, two weeks ago, and the entire time, like, you know, he's talking and he's completely engaged and he's staring right in your eyes, and the whole time his hands are moving and he's he's making a work of art out of sand, and he's just someone who has to be has to be making and you know and every every bit of the conversation he was right in on it and he was barely looking like barely even looking at what he was doing but he was making yeah. a work of art the entire time and that's just who he is and what he has to do the term outsider art you say you don't like it why does it exist i mean is it convenience is it organization is it convenience hierarchy i think i think it's it's all of those things that okay. you just said i think that that I think that that's going away more than you know. I think that currently. Do you think it's going away? I think I think so. I think that I think that needing to break people into uh, outsider folk, disabled painter, photographer, yeah. like you know, I just be like, it it doesn't really to me. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, it's funny. I think that. Uh, there was very definitely, I gave a lot of tours of Marlin Show, and, you know, it was really interesting where sometimes I would tell people that he works at NIAD, is, you know, it was on the wall label. They could have found that out at any, at any time in the exhibition. Uh, sometimes I would tell people that he's uh, challenged or disabled, and sometimes I wouldn't, and sometimes that would change the way that someone looked at the show and sometimes I didn't want them to change how right. I looked at the show. Yeah. I, I don't think of Marlon as challenged or disabled. He's he's an artist. Like right. he is as authentic an artist as you can be right. because that's what he does. So why sort of why completely like frame someone else's experience with the work by Letting them know that, and again, it was it was right there for them to read if they wanted to. But most people don't read wall labels. That to me is also whether you want to put people like in this uh, box of either you know like black artists, women artists, and I can never understand. And, and you know, I maybe I can still hear you know Larry Walker is the one who really 
hit home with that one. He's like, I don't make black art. Yeah. You know. Right. And uh, yet, there's still this. This it seems like a trend to me in in in, in the art world, especially uh, to package, um, you know, maybe long marginalized artists like all these like abstract expressionist shows. And it's like I, you know, I'm glad to see some of these people get their due. But like, does it need to be women of why don't you just say it's a show about abstract expressionism? Right. Maybe it could be all women, but like it just to Do me it's, it's weird hitting, and it's like putting people in these yes. these ghettos. Of, yeah. Yep. Um, the know. the Itkin Howell show here, I asked uh, Chloe Siebert to be in the show, and she was like, "I have one." Con-. She's like, "She's like, I read what you wrote me, but tell me about the show. Like, I want to hear it verbally. I don't want to hear the press release. I want to tell me about it." And um, at the end, she was like, okay, that's, that's really what I wanted to hear. But I, now you didn't say what I was hoping, what I was hoping you wouldn't say, you didn't say. And she's like, uh, I'm, I'm worried about being in a show that's an all-woman show. And I was like, oh, no. Like, yeah. I put together the show. I, like, I, I thought about this work next to this work, this work next to this work, this work next to this work. And at the end, when I wrote down the list, it was just like, oh, shit, this is seven women. And I was like, I, I didn't intend, it wasn't like, it really wasn't an intentional thing. And it wasn't like something like I wanted to market it as like seven women, look at this. So when writing the press release and writing the essay, I just left the it's seven women out of there because that was never the intention of it. That was never the want for um, and she was like, okay, I'll be in the show. Yeah, she's cool. like, if there ever, she's like, if there was anything in the press release or anything on the website or anything that was like seven women, then I would have been out. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to just show with other women. I want to show in the art world. I like that. Yep. I like that a lot. All right. So we have a, a list ongoing art speak, red flags. And I want to see if he coughs one up. That's not already on there. What is the one term or two or three? If you're an audience member, let's make it, which is probably rare. You're usually leading all these things. Are there words that make you cringe when you're... Outsider. (laughs) Outsider makes me cringe. Does it really? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with it. I, I think, you know, since I moved down here, like, you know, I go to, I've been to, I've been to Paradise Garden 13 times. Yeah. Like, I take all these artists there. I've been to Pasquan four times. I've been to G's Bend. I've been, like, I've I've hit the road and gone to these, uh, envi- you know, they're art environments. They're not outsider works. They're, they're environments made by artists that are inside artists, that are, you know, that are, mm-hmm. that are yeah. artists, artists, not yeah. outsider artists. Outsider makes me cringe to some extent. Wow. Okay. And then what is there a term where you think, oh, BS, whenever you hear it? Or seeing it in an artist. Yeah, as soon as you see it, you go, it makes you stop. What's the word? Uh, You know, a few years ago, every single artist statement, and I don't see that many artist statements anymore. Like, I I feel like I only really saw artist statements when in grad school. But uh, a few years ago, every single artist statement said agency. You know, had the oh, agency. Oh, yeah. It's on there, isn't it? Yep. Okay, One, good. One, two, three, four, five, six, number seven. 
Yeah, that that would just drive me nuts. Yeah, because it was just like, okay, like, what are yeah. you gonna do with your agency? What, you know? And it, and it was just like all these different artist statements had had agency in in sort of all different ways, and it's like that word doesn't fit here. Like you're misusing. I don't think it means what you think it does. Yeah, I mean that that was a constant, and this is going back. You no, know, they're still a couple using of it. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, oh, really? oh yeah. I hate. Like I started reading an art article. I started reading an article uh, today, and I, after the first paragraph, I was just like, "Nope, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't care." Whatever, whatever the rest <laughs> yeah. of this says, and then I felt bad for having clicked on it and added to them, you know, added to their <laughs> sort of numbers that they that they they can go back to their they can go, you know, the magazine the magazine will be like. You know, wow, yeah. this person got a lot of clicks. Yeah. Like the subject line looked great to me, and I clicked on it and was just like, damn it. Yeah. They, they suckered me into yeah. this. And used cats again to get I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit about art speak. I just don't. I don't care about art speak. Like, if you can't explain it to my dad in regular words, then good luck. Like, if you have to go into. Uh, there's a certain grad school. That uh, is <laughs> a certain MFA program that I shouldn't shouldn't really name, but like I feel, I always sort of criticize them as like they're way too verbal and they make they make mediocre work and they talk about it better than anyone should ever be able to talk about art. And it's that funny thing of like just spend a little less time on writing about it and talking about it and spend a little more time making it. And and it's very difficult to you know, it's very difficult because it's like one of those things of you're you're almost fighting against what the teachers are teaching them. Like you have to be able to talk about this. And I, I agree with that too. I agree with that. You have to be able to talk about your artwork, but you have to be able you have to have a, an elevator speech. Speech. You have mm-hmm. to, yeah. in twenty seconds, be able yeah. to explain to the common man, the, the layman, yeah. the person that doesn't go to museums every weekend, that doesn't have an MFA, that's not an art professor. You have to, like, someone asks you what you do at a dinner party. What do you tell them? You don't tell them that, like, you're exploring your agency. You tell them, <laughs> but I want to explore your agency. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, you've got to get it down as to what you do. You have to be able to talk to all different right. types of people. Otherwise, you're only talking to people that are in your bubble. But it's almost like the sound bites better than the work a lot of times. Like, you don't even need to see it anymore. It's just yeah. like, oh, uh, you know. Again, I think it, you know, I, I benefit from trying to write and describe, but something that, again, is supposed to be an experience. And I don't want to tell you how to experience mm-hmm. it. Otherwise, what's the point of that? Why would it be remotely enjoyable? But um, I always go back to uh, when I worked in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Exhibitions Initiative, part of the the Pew Center for Arts and Arts and Heritage. And, you know, we're exhibitions here and individual artists is here and history is here and music is here and uh, dance and theater are here and here. And we we had this lecture hall. And we, working for the Pew, we had a great budget to bring in scholars. Uh, for us, pretty specifically, it was curators and directors, sometimes artists, but primarily, you know, it's the, the best people in your field you're bringing in. And we were all doing that, and we had this little lecture hall. And most times, most times I'm working, and I, I didn't have 
as much of a ability as I wish as I wished that I did to see the music lectures and and the dance lectures. But I pop in occasionally, and uh, there, but there was one in particular that was a Charlie Parker uh, conversation, and there was several of Charlie Parker's uh, biggest historians and then two of his relatives. And just in conversation, it was just sort of like a free flowing whatever conversation. Uh, and it was really wonder when it went to Q and A. Someone was like trying to describe this one part of one song, and they're trying to describe it, and no one on the panel knows. And then the guy's like, "Yo, it's that part where it's like." You know, and he's like doing all this, and everybody on the panel's like, "Oh yeah, it, like 1602 on this, you know, on the CD on this track," <laughs> yeah. and like everybody knew, and it was like that thing of like, with art so much, you know, a painting of a sunset, you know, we're trying to verbalize it, and we're trying to put words into it, and really all that you, the only way that you could actually verbalize how beautiful a sunset is, is like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know, whatever. It's it's. It's something that you can't put words to. It's too... It, it means too much in some ways. The sublime. You're cheapening it when you're trying to put... You're cheapening it, cheapening it when you're trying to put... When you're making yourself more important than that moment. When you're contextualizing it. When you're lowering it to your vocabulary. I don't have that kind of vocabulary. I don't even want it. I mean, a time, but it's like you know, Dave Hickey, uh, love him or hate him, but you know, like love him. all that on yeah. beauty and all that, yeah. and you know, there still seems to be this uh, this posturing. Uh, we were joking about Jackson Pollock before we hit the record button in here, but you know, it's funny that we're how many years past the the fifties and people still being like defensive about making art, let alone art that is enjoyable, like. Um, yeah. You know, to use the word beauty is a you don't dare use that word in in academia. You know, the work has to be rigorous, and then it's like I'm not painting smiley faces, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. but if I attach a certain vocabulary to it, suddenly that makes it more uh, appealing. I mean, again, for some, you know, mm-hmm. I like I still like you know I can listen to a symphony, I can listen to Taj Mahal, or I can hear you know again somebody taking the you know the Ramones three chords when it's right. You know, why can that lift you off the ground? Like I want that experience in art. Um, I guess I would still want to look at something first and then I do read wall labels and texts and, and just to try to source things out but um, you're right it either I hate to say it but I mean you know just even looking at this floor in here it kind of either hits you or not you know and you have a reaction I have a reaction you know to cut one probably a painter I know it's colored it's mm-hmm. um, texture but in looking at any kind of work and mm-hmm. um, you know if I have to sell somebody on it you know I should probably change uh, careers and uh, actually you know make some money doing it <laughs> instead of being in the witness protection program here at, uh, I think this is a funny thing like two friends in Philly ran this space for a month and there was like events like 28 of the 30 days that they had this space and one of the events was it was really funny because you never knew what was going to be going on and then there was events like all through the day and sometimes they'd overlap a little bit and I walk in one time and there was just this dude who was a little older and like really buff and he had on black ripped rip black jeans, black boots, black t-shirt, black hair, like all in his face. He's just got the bass and he's playing really loud, just a few <laughs> chords. And I'm just like, what, what is going on? And like there's like a group of younger dudes just sitting there like 
like literally just sitting there just like completely into this more than anything on earth and they were like uh, my buddies were like yeah we tried to uh we tried to book the misfits to play a show here but we couldn't afford it but we could afford just to get the bass player so it's the bass player from the Misfits just playing the so- you know just playing the songs on bass, and, these- and it was all aw- like it was so good, it was so wonderful, just like to wow. see these dudes like just so damn into it. Like, did he have like a- did he listen to headphones and playing along, or was he just like hey, just? No, he was just playing. Okay, he was just playing. <laughs> you couldn't handle that on really strong acid, man. <laughs> it was amazing to watch, and it was, and the best part was just watching these these old Misfit fans that were so into it, and just like smiling and leaning forward in their seats in the same way that like I start running or walking overly fast when I'm going into a museum in that same way they're like leaning forward and trying to like glean something from like his hand placement and how he's yeah. how he's hitting the bass and how he you know how how he's strumming like they're trying to like learn from this person that yeah. they perceive to be a master even though it's it's the misfits it's not a band that was known for their technical yeah. whatever but it's the, you know it's one of their heroes it's awesome it's it's I, I love I love those sorts of things of like other people's like uh, great moments like that. So speaking of heroes, hit them with the questions. Which dinner? I've kind of rescinded that one. You rescinded that? Well, one? it's a big question. You know, it's in every like New York Times oh, book who, review. But like, yeah, who would you like to have dinner with? Yeah, let's we'll keep it. I just living. answered that recently for Modern Painters. Keep it to living. Oh, we, oh, yeah. My modern painter's answer, I'd like to I'd like to rescind. I'd like to take That's one a, of the two people okay. back. What recension occurring today? Is it a word? I won't have dinner well, with you. I, <laughs> well, I said Kerry James Marshall and Hemingway. I want to drop Hemingway. Wow. Oh, you're dropping Hemingway? Yeah. <laughs> I want to go with someone less cliche than Hemingway. All right. Kerry James, I've, I've been fortunate enough to sit across... At a at a dinner a long while ago, I had the amazing amazing fortune of sitting across from Kerry James Marshall and uh, literally spending an hour talking boxing with him, and came away from that. And he was he's long been my not just my favorite painter. I almost said favorite painter, but he's long been my favorite artist. Um, that that I haven't seen the show yet at the Met, but. Um, I was in town the last three days of the show in Chicago, and um, uh, luckily I was staying about a 20-minute walk. I went to see the show at the MTA, and it was just too—it was too much. Like, it was too much to take in all at once, and luckily I was going to be in town, so I went for an hour each day, three days. And just, like broke it up almost into sections, and you know I'd walk through the whole thing, but yeah. really like spent time with it over three days, and that was such a, a wonderful privilege to get that get to spend that kind of time with the work, and it was it was a mob scene. It was packed in there every day. I don't know. I want to drop Hemingway. Who did, I rethought this I rethought this recently. Like why did I say Hemingway? That's, that's a dumb answer. Maybe Dave Hickey. Dave Hickey's fascinating. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm going to drop Hemingway 
and Dave Hickey and go with Greg Popovich from the Spurs. Wow. Okay, so you're updating your modern painters. Yeah, Kerry James Marshall okay. and Greg Popovich. See, I think that's the other thing, though. Um, you know, when we were uh, with a photographer recently, and, uh, you know, you get in that spot suddenly, like, what do you want to talk about? And you probably, you know, whether somebody's famous or not famous, but to ask somebody, you know, what do you do, it can kind of seem vulgar. And especially if somebody has some, some fame or they're higher on the ladder, which, you know, what do you talk about? And, like, again, when it's genuine and you can connect, like, for instance, talking mm-hmm. boxing with, like, yeah. what a relief. He's probably, like, someone's not asking, right. me, like, some geeky painting question. What kind of brush do you use? And Well, you get to know somebody That's, and you get to, and you get to see, I feel like, most most painters are not just interested in, interested in painting. They are interested in other things out in the world. And that stuff influences their, you know, be it sports, music, politics, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Like, that's what influences their, their artworks. And, you know, it, another um, artist that I, that I deeply love and really admire is William Popel. Yeah. And, well, yes. Um... I had to pick him up. He was doing the commencement speech at the main college of art a couple of years ago, and I had to pick him up from the airport. And his flight was delayed four times. And like, quite literally, the <laughs> president of the of the college was like up on stage, like just like, "How about that weather?" You know, just like trying anything to kill time. And I'm driving like a demon from the airport to the to the theater where the commencement's at, and and. Popel and I are just talking basketball and I pull up in front of the theater and I'm getting texts like you gotta get him here fast like if you get a speeding ticket we will pay like like this is yes. this is going down in flames like we gotta get the speaker up here and I pull up in front of the theater and I'm like you gotta okay jump out and he was like oh I've, I've really been enjoying our conversation and he was like <laughs> he was like let's go grab a beer I was like, no, like you've got to go. I'm like, let's do that after, like, you know, we'll do that after. And he was like, he was like, no, the speech will wait. He's like, he's like, they'll figure it out. Let's grab a beer and keep talking basketball. And I was like, I was like, listen, dude, I will open that door and kick you. (laughs) You're a hero. I love you, but like, you got to go. And it was like, but it's one of those things. Like, I'll forever, I'll forever love that guy. Like, I've forever loved his work before. And will forever love the guy, you know, the person now because of yeah. that 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 odd experience of just like driving eighty five in a in a thirty five and talking basketball through the whole thing, you know, just calmly like having this conversation <laughs> of. <laughs> so, so at this dinner, what's the what's the record that's on? What's the record that's on? Yeah. It has to be a record. You don't want anything that's that's overly that's. Uh, too loud uh, because you it's really I think the more important question is what wine is being served or what what whiskey <laughs> oh. like wine or whiskey or or I guess that's I guess yeah I guess the record is definitely part of it or what game is on <laughs> <laughs> Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at BrainFuzzPodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag BrainFuzzPodcast. Now, go use your agency.